I'm Kara Stern. I'm Mike Moffat. Today we want to talk about the fall economic statement because that came out earlier this week. Christia Freeland said that they had some meaty measures in there for affordability, but I saw on Twitter, Professor Moffat here says C minus. So I wanted to find out a little bit about why. Um, first off, let's just go into like what they're doing. I just want to, for anyone who wasn't paying attention to it, here's, here's what's coming out of it. Uh, they have low interest loans to developers via the apartment construction loan program, cutting down on short-term rentals such as Airbnbs, creating the Canadian Mortgage Charter, $309 million for the Cooperative Housing Development Program, $1 billion for a three-year program starting in 2025 for 7,000 nonprofit co-op and public housing builds by 2028. So those are the announcements that the federal government just made. What do you think of them, Mike? Well, a lot of these are, are things that the federal government was, was already doing. Uh, most of them are good initiatives. We need more social housing. Uh, you know, having more construction loans is, is absolutely a good thing. But most of this is just tweaks of existing programs. A lot of this money doesn't flow until 2025. Why is that? It looked like none of it was flowing till 2025, as far as I could see, or maybe almost none of it. Why is that? So Christian Freeland has been very clear that uh, the fiscal cupboard is bare. Uh, they want to make sure that they're not acting at odds with the Bank of Canada and you know driving up inflation and interest rates. So this is a very austere uh, kind of budget that uh, there is some new spending, but that mostly comes later on, that they're really trying to bend the curve when it comes to spending and, and trying to get uh, the deficit down. Interest payments on the debt are substantially higher than than last year uh, because of the rise of interest rates. So that's ten to twenty billion extra dollars uh, gone from from the government's uh, from the government's coffers next year just because of that rise in interest rates. So that's crowding out the government's ability to do much uh, of new spending. So what new spending is out there has been largely punted till twenty twenty five. One of the new parts of this is targeting Airbnbs and other short-term rentals. And do we actually know at this point how much of an impact Airbnb and other short-term rentals are having on the rental market? Yeah, there, there was a, a couple studies uh, that have come out recently. And interesting enough, there one was uh, funded by Airbnb itself, and one was funded by the Hotel Association, who uh, are opponents of Airbnb. So we're getting kind of both sides of it. Uh, the one that was funded by Airbnb, done by, I believe it was the conference board, uh, found that uh, it was increasing rents across the country by about 1%. So, you know, not nothing, but, you know, fairly in insubstantial. The, the one that, the other one that was funded by the Hotel Association that uh, a professor at McGill, I believe, looked at or, or, or ran, uh, looked at uh, British Columbia and found that rents, uh, about 4% of rent, rent increases in British Columbia can be attributed to the short-term rental market. Uh, noting that there are already short-term rental regulations in BC, so perhaps that number would be higher in a, in a deregulated market. So, so it's not nothing, but it's, it's relatively modest. And that's what I would suggest that the government's um, 
initiative is here. That basically what they're saying is if somebody is running uh, a short-term rental that contravenes existing municipal or provincial bylaws, they will not be able to expense, you know, have like cleaning expenses and interest expenses, you know, deduct those from, from their income for tax purposes. They were deducting it as if they were like businesses, right? Yeah, well, exactly. Well, it's basically saying like, if you are breaking the rules, you you can't expense the breaking of those rules. I'm like, okay, great. Uh, uh, I'm not. If you're already breaking the rules, I'm I'm not sure putting in another rule saying you can't break the rules. I'm I'm not sure what that really accomplishes. Uh, I'm not sure how the CRA actually uh, enforces that. I do think if there is a component here that that might uh, accomplish something on the short-term rental, the other piece of it is the federal government is providing more money for to municipalities for enforcement. That actually might uh, cause some changes at the local level, but the, this one kind of weird tax measure that everyone's glommed onto, I can't really figure out how it's going to work or, or what it's going to accomplish. I know that the Canadian Mortgage Charter is kind of meant to help Canadians who are worried about renewing their mortgage and the cost of doing that. Uh, it includes temporary extensions on the amortization periods. It tells banks what they can charge customers for any um, any help that they're get given. Uh, there's advanced contact with renewal options, allowing lump sum and prepayments. And when I read that when I if I, I was thinking if I was someone trying to get into the housing market and seeing the government trying to ensure affordability for people, first of all, wealthy enough to already have a high worth asset and also people it, who probably didn't consider these interest rates when they bought the home and maybe over leveraged themselves. I might think that this was unfair, that our tax dollars was going towards that. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I think the defense of it is that it's not really a lot of money that, that's going into it. It's just uh, it's more of a regulatory effort than than, than a subsidy. Um, again, this is one where, where I don't think there's a lot of there there that banks are already largely doing all of these things. Uh, you know, we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, banks extend out amortizations on variable rate mortgages and, and that kind of thing. So it's, it's largely just codifying in practice, things that, that banks are, are already doing and in many cases are already kind of legally uh, obligated to do. So it's just kind of packaging it all in, in one place. So again, kind of like the short-term rental thing, it's not nothing, but it's again, pretty, pretty small when you're basically telling banks like, hey, you need to do this thing that you're already voluntarily doing. Okay, great. Um, but that does that, at the end of the day, that's not worth all that much. Okay, so people shouldn't be too mad. I always think about when I hear, well, I know the NDP got themselves in a lot of trouble when they talked about wanting to help people who couldn't afford to pay their mortgages. And what I kept hearing from people who don't own homes is, okay, can you help us? Like they, I if I chose not to take that risk on, and I, why should I be subsidizing people who did and took on way too much? And of course, it's really hard for people who are, are not able to pay it right now or finding it really difficult to pay it. And I have a lot of, of sympathy for people going through that. But I also understand people who were more cautious feeling a little ripped off. Yeah, I think in general, it's one of the, the sort of downsides of the housing crisis where uh, like everybody's mad and everybody's mad at about how it affects them. So you know, you, you talk about the challenges that existing homeowners have when their uh, mortgages roll over, uh, which is a which is a real problem for, for a lot of people. And then 
uh, people who want to be first-time home buyers are like, well, what about me? I, I can't even afford a home. Uh, you know, why why aren't you helping me uh, afford a home? And then you get people who are are renters who want to be renters and are getting priced priced out and saying, well, like, why are you helping these these rich wannabe first-time home buyers? Like, shouldn't you be helping us low-income renters instead? And I think this is a challenge of any kind of widespread crisis that people are always saying like, no, you should be helping people in my particular circumstance. Like, why are you helping these other jerks over here? So it's it's one of the challenges of any economic crisis, crisis is it uh, starts to uh, unwind kind of social cohesion where you get everybody kind of uh, sniping at each other going, no, 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 we're, we're more, the, more worthy of support than, than these other folks. I guess that's part of why it's so hard to solve. Um, I know that you wrote, though, that the path forward is straightforward. Immediately lower demand by limiting growth in non-permanent residents, scare off the speculators and investors buying up single-family homes, and create the conditions for robust supply growth to keep up with demand. And I saw you get a little bit of trouble on Twitter for some of that. Um, a lot of people calling you anti-immigrant. So are you anti-immigrant? I, I am not anti-immigrant. And in fact... Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I made sure of uh, in the thing is saying that it's actually not so much the, the sort of immigration or permanent resident pathway, you know, that gets a lot of a, a attention. And we have seen the numbers go up there a little bit. But I think that that gets far too much attention relative to other things that are going on. Where we're seeing the big ex exponential growth is in what we call non-permanent residency programs. So it's people here on some kind of time expired visa, like a temporary foreign worker permit or most notably international student uh, permit. That's where we've seen the numbers go up substantially. We've had close to about 700,000 uh, in the last 12 months uh, you know, on net, that, that population growth relative to immigration, which has grown by about 450,000. Now, keep in mind on the non-permanent side, a decade ago, that was close to zero, right? It was about 50,000, right? So that's where the big changes have been. And my point isn't that it's bad to have non-permanent residents. My, um, you know, my point has always been that we increased uh, those programs without putting the, the uh, associated housing programs in, in place. So my point is like, let's just hit pause for a while on this, get some, uh, you know, get some rationality back to the market. Then let's work on doing these things in tandem, because I think it's fantastic that we have the best and brightest in the world who want to study and live in Canada. That's fantastic. But we're not doing them any favors and we're not doing the rest of Canada any favors if we're not building housing. Like we're just setting people up to fail. And that's the issue. And it is problematic, right? When 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 you talk about any of these issues, any opponents going like, why are you against international students? I'm like, I'm not. I'm against the exploitation of international students. Those are two very, very different things. And I think we need to be able to talk about the latter. Yeah, I always like to think also there's a difference in my mind between anti-immigration or wanting changes in the immigration system and being anti-immigrant because it's obviously, like when you think about it, those can be there can be overlap, but at the same time, 
there's a difference between someone being against immigrants coming against immigrants themselves and blaming them for it or thinking that the numbers right now are not sustainable. I think that there's a distinction that needs to be talked about even more. Absolutely. Cause, cause my position is look, it's, it's not the, the job of an 18 year old kid from Bangkok to solve Canada's housing crisis. I think that's the role of, of governments. It's not somebody who, who wants to move here, uh, to to study at one of our colleges, they they are not responsible for for our housing uh, housing market, nor should they be. You know, it's the responsibility of all three orders of government, and in this case, the higher education sector, to just do some planning and, and going. Okay, if you know we're going to increase the number of students by X, we need to figure out how to increase the number of bedrooms by and that's going to be a combination of building student residences but also putting in the conditions to have the private sector build more uh build more buildings near, near campuses so it's just have a plan <laughs> like that that's all it really is at the end of that like let's have a plan and, and actually manage this properly and even get the data because i know that we've talked about how they how the government doesn't seem to even know how many people are coming in and it keeps finding out later. So it's really hard to plan when they don't know. But you also talked about wanting to scare speculators and investors. And I wanted to know how you would do that. Well, essentially what, what's happening now, and, and one of the big issues that, that I have now is that uh, we see folks buying up uh, single family homes to turn them into student rentals. And, and they're they're buying them in advance. They're kind of betting on the fact that the federal government will continue or and the provinces because the provinces are actually largely responsible for, for the international student file that they're going to continue to mismanage that that basically you've got a lot of people making some really big bets on the governments on governments not getting their act together and the challenge is that that's uh making it difficult for renters and it's particularly making it difficult for for first-time home buyers who are having to go out there and compete against uh, investors, you know, to, when they want to go buy a, a townhome or, or, or what have you. And again, this, this is where I get in trouble uh, on Twitter, where we go like, "Oh, well, why are you helping helping the, the first time home buyers when it's this group renters or somebody else?" But again, I, I, I feel like we spend too much time sort of arguing about the temperature of the water in one end of the bathtub, right? And just, we have to understand that this is a system. The system is absolutely broken. It's not helping anybody except those who just happen to own a lot of properties or be able to speculate on a lot of properties. So it's just get a plan and get that sort of rationality uh, into place. And, and again, right now, what we're, we're losing so many single family homes. Uh, to to student rentals, and it, I I'm personally of the opinion that that's not a great thing for for society. Yeah, except that we've both been pretty loud advocates of rezoning to allow multiplexes and other multi units in places where single family homes currently exist. And I sometimes think that the investors who are buying these single family homes might be in the best financial position to convert existing stock into multiplexes. So how do you kind of square that? Yeah, well, so if that's what was going on, that would that would be fantastic, right? If it's like, okay, we're gonna, uh, you know, we we we've got this one area, uh, this one you know, place, and we're gonna put up a fourplex and create a bunch of density. It's like, okay, well, that that makes sense. But really, what what we're what we're seeing is, you know, people basically just buying up single family homes, leaving them as is, and then 
you know, some of the some of the landlords are are very good and decent, and some of them are basically you know putting things on Kijiji, where it's like, okay, you can you know you can sleep next to the furnace for four hundred dollars a, a month, kind kind of thing. Uh, and again, you know, everybody uh, everybody needs uh, a bedroom. Everybody needs a place to, to to call home. But this is not how we should be solving this as, as a society. So again, and I think we need to differentiate these things. I think we can paint a lot of things with a broad brush, you know. But yeah, absolutely. If we're going to start, you know, rezoning near colleges and universities and, and building up more more density. I think that's that's a fantastic thing, but that's largely not what's uh, what's happening at the moment. So, how would you actually go about getting kind of scaring these investors that you're talking about? Like, do you try to tax them out of existence? Do you ban some sort of uh, them in, them buying these homes? Like, how do you do it? No, you just you, you just make them know that uh, the, the 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 international student numbers aren't going to grow exponentially. That, that, that's all you have to all you have to do, right? Because again, they're they're making large bets on uh, on governments not getting their act together, and for the last decade or more, that's been a really good bet. Um, but basically, if, if they don't think the market is going to be there, they will back off. They'll say, you know what, that's I, I'm not going to be able to make money doing doing this, particularly with high interest rates. So I don't think you need to do anything active, and I actually think we have to make sure that we're not. Uh, discouraging, um, you know, discouraging renovations, discouraging the, the building of density. Um, you know, all, all I'm suggesting is that um, that a lot of the invest, particularly the speculative activity, is happening because spe- speculators are placing bets on government incompetence, and uh, we need to we meet, need to make that a bad bet. That's too bad that so far that's been a pretty good bet when it comes to the housing market. So that's unfortunate. <laughs> Hopefully it does. Some, see, we see some changes at some point. All right. Thanks for unpacking that. And hopefully you've let people know how you that you you, you don't hate immigrants. No, no, I don't. Hate, and I don't hate international students either. It's not it's not the individuals. You know, it's, it's, it's not the players, the game. It's not the players, the game. Uh, that's that's the issue here that. We have just set up a system that's not working for anyone, but we can we can fix this. It just takes some hard work and some political will, but we can we can fix this broken system. And hopefully, some of these politicians will listen to your suggestions and and take some of them. That'd be great if they just you know just steal them from you. You know, I, I they're 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 free. Uh, they're they're free for the the taking. They can take all the credit, and I can go go off into the sunset and do something else. I'd be I'd be happy with that outcome. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Meredith Martin. If you like this episode, please like or subscribe or leave a comment. It would really help us out a lot. And we'll see you next time.